0: Howdy, folks. Welcome back to the podcast. In today's episode, I am excited to share with you an interview I just concluded with Bill Rapier of Amtac Shooting. Who is Bill Rapier? I'll tell you. And by by telling you, I mean, I'm going to read a brief bio. Bill Rapier is recently retired after 20 years in the Navy, where his duty assignments included several years at SEAL Team 3, and over 14 years at Naval Special Warfare Development Group, also known as DEVGRU, also known as SEAL Team 6. The positions that he held there included assaulter, breacher, sniper, team leader, troop chief, and military working dog department senior enlisted advisor. He is a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, a practitioner of the psych Kali knife fighting system, and trains in both Western and Thai boxing. He and his wife live in the mountains of North Idaho, where they homeschool their seven children and are heavily involved in the local church through leading worship as a family, father-son ministry, and all around discipleship. Bill's company, Amtac Shooting, as well as Amtac Blades, uh, are you're able to find those online at amtacshooting.com. You can also follow him on Instagram, at Amtac Shooting. Uh, you can also find him on Facebook, at American Tactical Shooting Instruction, LLC. Um, yeah, so many good things to learn from Bill. Not just how to protect yourself and how to fight, which he is a mas- literally a master of, but also just how to be a, a better Christian and a better leader of your home, a better husband, a better all-around Christian person. So please enjoy this interview, this conversation with Bill Rapier. Oh, one more thing I need to tell you that the growth initiative is now open for the, the waiting list is now open for the growth initiative. So I'm going to link now that we're a family.com forward slash growth initiative, and you can join the Growth Initiative waiting list. What is the Growth Initiative? Well, let me tell you real quickly. The Growth Initiative is a six-week live training program for men that are fathers, Christian husbands, eager to grow not only in their faith and in their marriage and in their ability to be a, a father, but also in their ability to provide and to lead themselves and to thrive in the marketplace with whatever they're they're given. Uh, I guess. Career is at the moment. So if you're interested in growing in all of those things, join the waiting list at we are a forward slash the growth initiative. With that said, we'll get this interview going.
1: Now that we're a family podcast. Wow,
0: Bill, thank you so much for taking the time to be here with us today. So excited to hear from you and just, uh, yeah, learn from you as well. So thank you for being with us here today.
1: Awesome. Elisha, thanks for having me on the show.
0: So I already gave a brief, brief kind of introduction and description as to who you are and, and what you're currently doing. Um, but I'm curious, in your own words, like today, right now, when you bump into somebody or meet them for the first time, like what, what do you tell them? your life looks like what you know who is bill rapier right now 2022
1: so right now it's uh it's a lot different than it was 10 years ago or 20 years ago uh right now we live up in the mountains in idaho and seven kiddos and we're homeschooling and heavily involved with church and running two businesses now or two and a half and uh yeah life life is good for sure
0: yeah it sounds like a full life and that's it sounds like yeah. a very like <laughs> very fun and full life so i'm excited to hear more about that uh I'd love to kind of back up if we could. I know that you've you've got, you know, you, you, you homeschool your kids. You guys live on kind of more or less of a homestead situation. Um, you do a lot of training right now around the country um, of, you know, just which I'm really excited to talk about as well. But could you back us up and kind of tell us a little bit about your upbringing and, and yeah. where you came from?
1: Absolutely. So uh, my parents were missionaries. So I grew up on the mission field. We moved to Germany when I was about five years old. Uh Lived in southern Germany, down Bavaria, for about three and a half or four years, and then we moved up to northern Germany, Langhagen by by Hanover. Uh, lived there for another three and a half or four years, uh, and then moved stateside for it was supposed to be a full year furlough. Um, and and then my dad ended up getting, he's chosen to 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 lead a regional team in southern Africa. So, uh, so we ended up moving there. Uh, earlier than than we planned on it we moved to swaziland and and swaziland is in southern africa it's surrounded three quarters by south africa and one quarter by mozambique it's a kingdom it's a a really cool spot Uh, so we lived there for only about two ish years and then my dad got recalled to to work back stateside so we moved to colorado springs and that's where i finished up high school uh and then joined the service uh Hmm. Like the, the day after I, I graduated high school, uh, I guess faith-wise, as I was, you know, my, with my parents being missionaries, uh, it was very, uh, you know, I said the sinner's prayer at an early age. And then I uh, was honestly, I was not super serious about my faith until I was actually in the SEAL teams. Uh, and yeah, I remember driving home uh, from Colorado And, you know, it's late, late at night or early in the morning. I don't really remember, but it was was dark out and kind of driving across the desert. And I just remember thinking to myself, man, I, uh, I I, doctrinally, I I don't believe you can lose your salvation, but if people would look, would have looked at my life at that point, uh, you would not have been able to look at me and go, oh yeah, he's, he's a believer Hmm. Uh, because I wasn't living for the Lord. And so I just, I started praying and asking God to give me a desire uh, to change and, and to a, a desire to want to follow after him. And, and he, he did. It's, it's amazing. Just, uh, you know, I started reading the Bible and it was, it was almost like I was reading it for the first time. I'm mean, just, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it spoke to me so much more and so much to like, Hey, this is actually how we're supposed to live. Just practical stuff and got plugged in with a church and a small group. And, uh, yeah, I have since, since then been, you know, on, on the path to be, uh, you know, trying to serve the Lord to the best of my abilities. Awesome. What a powerful testimony. And what a,
0: I think a prayer that so many people can relate to just, Lord, just give me a desire for you. Like, I don't, I don't disbelieve. I don't not believe. I do believe all this, but boy, my affection is not towards you right now. And and he is so gracious to answer that, that prayer, like he did in your life, going back to your childhood Um, you said that maybe you didn't really take ownership of your faith or it wasn't something that was really, uh, it didn't really, I guess, inform how you lived all that, all that much. Do you think that was something that because your parents were missionaries, you were just around it. It was this thing that was like a part of life was, did you have any, did you have a challenge at all? Like distinguishing between like my dad's profession
1: and what's a personal faith? No, not really. I mean, like I I wouldn't, I'd never say that I rejected my faith. Hmm. Um, I always, you know, th- there's never a doubt in my mind that, you know, Christ is Lord and, but, uh, but he was not Lord of my life in, in my actions, um, hmm. during some of those times, you know, I mean, going, going through high school, I, uh, kind of towards, uh, my junior year, I started, you know, started playing sports, started wrestling and, and then started, uh, started drinking a little bit hmm. and that, you know that causes some problems, right? That was definitely not honoring uh, to the Lord. And then also like early on, you know, going through buds and early on in the teams, I I would say, man, the, you know, looking back on it now, uh, it was absolutely an idol in my life to make it through, through our, through buds, basic underwater demolition slash seal training. Uh, Like I wanted that really, really badly. Um, you know, and I look back on it, it's like, man, it's by God's grace that I made it through. Um, but I, yeah, I, I, so yeah, I never, never disbelieved. I mean, true going through hell week, uh, you know, just quoting over and over again, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Like that was one of the big verses, you know, going into hell week and going through hell week. So I didn't not have faith. I just, I was not living my faith, uh, and I don't know, as I, I guess, as I mature in my faith, I, I look at the, uh, uh, you know, when in, in James when it talks about, you know, faith without works is dead. And, you know, show me your faith. You know, I'll, I'll show you my works or I'll show you my deeds. And, you know, so that's one of the things I, that I think is, is the easiest way to see if someone does have saving faith is look at their life. Hmm. You know, if you're if you're saying. I'm a believer and then you're denying Christ with your lifestyle, then are you really a believer or are you um, someone that, you know, from the parable of the seed that, you know, and I know there's there's different interpretations of that, but, uh, you know, I, I would put the other category is, you know, the, the seed on the rock and then the thin soil and with the thorns as those aren't believers. Hmm. Um, and then the, the believers are, you know, the, the 30, 50 and hundred fold. I may be misquoting that a little bit, but um, you know, there's, there's going, if we are believers, there's going to be fruit in our lives and there was definitely limited fruit in my life sure, uh, sure. As, early on as, yeah. as, as a, uh, as a believer. So,
0: Going back to your childhood and then kind of relating it to where you're currently at with your own family, uh, because I've been able to kind of briefly witness you and your children. You've got a pretty you've got a culture. You know, you've built a culture. You guys use a a language, even the way you talk to your children, the way that you kind of do life. Um, And I love seeing family cultures. Did you growing up have a strong family culture? Did you have siblings? What was it the type of thing you know I see you with your young boys and with with your with your daughter working with them on a very practical level.
1: Is that what you experienced growing up with your father? Yeah, so my folks were very thank you, giddy. my folks were very, uh, you, uh, folks were very uh, supportive of us, very much encouraged us along our bent that is one of the things my mom would always say we we each have a bent in life and 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 my parents were very uh strong to support us in that um so yes there's absolutely culture like that um there was a culture of you know bible time within our family you know or or family reading time in the evening uh you know it's it's a little bit different from you know, we, we we try to be deliberate about doing family worship time now. Uh, there's definitely some Vody Bauckham influence there. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I got some conviction reading, reading Votie. Uh, so, but yeah, there, there definitely was a culture. I'm, And then the older I get, the more I am just, I realized how blessed I was to have godly parents.
0: Hmm. Wow, that's such a cool thing to acknowledge. And like you said, the older you get, the more you grow in your faith. I think one, you realize the rarity of that people that have people that have truly pointed them towards Christ and exemplified, uh, the gospel, you know, have, have, have lived, lived as, as a result of the gospel. So that's cool that you can say that. So did you have
1: siblings growing up? Yeah, I had two sisters and then, Shoot, when I was 23, and my my folks had moved back to Africa already for a few years, they adopted two infants, awesome, um, two wow. boys. So I now also have two brothers that are 22 now, I think, and wow. they're they're doing well. They're they're away from home now and and doing good things. So that's awesome. Um, so, but I yeah, I didn't grow up with brothers until I didn't get brothers until I was in my 20s. So then, can you walk us through what? Because I, again, I I. Very,
0: I don't know if I had any family members that were directly, you know related to me that were like in the my first line that served in the military. What was that like for you as a young boy? Did you have this desire to serve uh, in the military from the time you were a boy, high school? what What did that look like?
1: Absolutely. So, you know, kind of going back to what I was just saying with my my parents encouraging the bent that we have. Um, I think I have pictures of me being six years or, you know, at, at age six with uh, old school O.D. Green field jacket on, uh, one of my dad's military hats and a painted on beard oh, and nice. uh, old non-functioning single barrel shotgun in my hand and probably some knives on me somewhere. <laughs> uh, so it, it was yeah, it was absolutely it was something that i wanted to do uh and just growing up living in even in germany where it was really frowned upon there's such a pacifistic culture there now post post-world War ii um that, that like my my dad got a lot of flack for me running around with camouflage stuff on hmm. um because they they really equate christianity with pacifism there hmm. uh but yeah so as i as as i was growing up that was really the only thing that i wanted to do and then it would just vary between, Oh, I want to be a fighter pilot or, you know, I want to be special forces or, or whatever. And so early on, my dad said, well, if you want to join them, you know, if you want to be basically a professional soldier um, you should go to West Point. So that was what I had my sights set on for a long time. And I would say I was, I was tracking in that direction until uh junior year of high school and wrestling and, and drinking. and, that very much derailed. Uh, all of a sudden, I did not have a desire anymore huh. uh, to go do another four years of school. Hmm. And so, as that, you know, as I, as I got halfway through my senior year, I was like, "Well, this is just is definitely not even an, an option anymore because my grades are just tanking, and I just no no desire to do that." Um, so, I just started looking at the the different uh, special operations groups and which one looked like. The hardest to get into, with the highest chance of seeing action, and so I, you know, I looked at special forces and uh, Marine Recon, and and then the SEAL teams, and Hmm. ended up. uh, I think the Marine Corps recruiter could have gotten me, but I I went there and I I talked to him and I was asking questions. How is Recon? Like, how how hard is the training? And you know, and I told him I was thinking about maybe going to Buds, and and the guy looked at me and he goes. Because they go through, they do five mile soft sand runs. He's like, "That's not even good for you." <laughs> and I walked out. <laughs> I'm like, "That's what I wanted."
0: Nice. I want to do the stuff that's just so hard. It's
1: silly. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Uh, I like it. So joined. Yeah. So joined uh, the Navy, which I really, honestly, I didn't want to join the Navy just because I, you know, looking at it, uh, you have a significantly higher chance of not making it through buds than you do of making it through buds. Hmm and i did not want to be stuck in the navy so i ended up i I joined as a corpsman so you you have to have a or at the time you had to have a a, basically a a secondary job or for army guys would be an mos military occupational specialist in the navy they they just call it your rating what what your job is within the navy and so i picked corpsman which is medic uh because i figured it was my backup plan basically if i couldn't make it through buds then I could still go with the Marine Corps because the, the Marine Corps doesn't have their own medics. They use Navy corpsmen. Hmm. And so I figured, well, at the, at the very worst case, at least I wanted to be, you know, walking around on the ground with carrying a gun, um, instead of being stuck on a ship. Hmm. Uh, so yeah, then join, so joined the Navy the day after high school, uh, you know, boot camp up in Great Lakes, uh, Chicago, and then Corman A School Balboa in San Diego and then right into BUDS. And you know, it took me a little while to make it through Buds. Uh, it's a six-month program plus whatever the the pre-training is. And I, I ended up getting rolled twice. I had uh uh so does, does that mean like held back? Is that <clears throat> yeah? So basically uh th- there's there's evolutions that so you you get kicked out of buds one of two ways you either quit which is kind of the majority of people do or you just continue to fail certain evolutions okay so i made it through hell week honestly it wasn't uh without a whole lot of problems uh i don't think i failed any timed runs or swims or anything like that before hell week and then post hell week i could not run an 11 or 12 minute mile to save my life it Hmm. was horrible uh and so the guys you know they the instructors they were like well we know something's got to be wrong with him because he used to be able to do this and now he can't but we they, they couldn't figure out anything medically uh so I went into dive phase which is the second phase and just proceeded to get crushed hmm. because those instructors didn't know me and they're they're just like who is this guy that is just sandbagging on all these runs <laughs> um and so we got to uh, you have to do a dive physics test, um, you know, because basically you have to understand that if you hold your breath while ascending on, on a dive, yeah, you're going to die. I, yeah, And so they make you go through a bunch of dive physics and, in order to do that. Well, sure. the last few years of high school, I had used a calculator for all of my long division so I could do the physics portion of dive physics. But they did not let me use a calculator, so I could not do long division to save my life. That oh, point. that's funny. <laughs> it was super embarrassing. Yeah, so me and like maybe eight guys, we all failed the dive physics class, so we got rolled for dive physics. And it was super embarrassing. They put us in a remedial math class for the you know the two months, basically, that, that we had to wait for the next class to catch up to the point that we were at. And the lady started the class off by going, you know, she's got the whiteboard up and she goes, this is how you add. And I'm just like, Oh, Oh, nice. So so shameful. (laughs) (laughs) So it was embarrassing. Um, but I learned how to do long division. uh, classed up with class 200 or picked up with them at, at the beginning of dive phase still had not figured out how to run. So I actually passed, uh, uh, past pool comp, which is the big, like hell week and pool comp are the, are the, the biggest two things that people quit and or are dropped for. Okay. So made it through that. And then I was on day one of Drager dives, which is the closed circuit, uh, breathing rig that we use, uh, was on day one of that. And I would failed a timed run that morning and I got put in front of the basic training officer and he's standing there. And he goes, hey, Pierre, you've got two options and they're both bad. <laughs> He goes, well, you know, one, one, you could go clean bedpans at Balboa, which is, you know, being a corpsman that, that probably would have been part of my, my job. <laughs> and he goes, the other is you can go join first phase right now. And I'm like, I'll take first phase, sir. So I had to left his office, went to, uh, supply and got a white t-shirt again, which was probably that it was probably the worst part of the whole thing. Cause when you, when you thin it when you get secured from hell week they give you a brown t-shirt you've been wearing a white t-shirt up until then and so if like that brown t-shirt means more to guys than just about anything else because that's the hey you made it through hell week t-shirt nice um so i had to go from you know wearing my brown t-shirt getting ready to to do my first dragger dive to back into first phase but the Hmm. the good thing was so it was it was uh you know, suboptimal, as I yeah. would say now. Uh, but the pace of their runs was slow enough to where I was able to build back up. Okay. And they didn't make me go through Hell Week again, which was great. OK, uh, So I didn't get broke down again. Um, uh, and so, yeah, so then I finished up with Class 201. So then you went
0: back to first phase, then basically just did all of buds, everything you had done it, uh, except for oh, how they, week
1: again. They were they were like week three or four. So okay. I think I went from I was supposed to do day one of dragger dives back to life saving test. Okay, where, you know you have to go save your instructor, you know, a bunch of different ways from from drowning. So nice. Um, so then
0: uh, beginning to end, then how how many months were you were
1: you uh, doing that the buds? So I was probably at least a year. I think I oh, checked wow. in, I checked in Thanksgiving day of, uh, of 94. Yeah. It's very depressing. Checking in on Thanksgiving day, yeah. and like get out of here. Like, what are you doing? Uh, you know, you come back on Tuesday, something like that yeah. is a long, long weekend. Oh man. Um, and then graduated 94 sometime yeah okay. probably mid mid to late 95
0: okay so this was 94 95 so yep. um yeah so this is pre 9 11 so oh yeah military activity probably looked completely different than what it looks like today and probably for much of your career
1: we were uh yeah there was very few guys in the SEAL teams at the time that had combat experience in fact when i so if I had to fast forward a little bit i went through our dive medical course and then our, our our jump school or basic static line jump school with the army. And then, uh, and then the 18 Delta special operations medical course uh, I went through all that stuff and then checked into seal team three. When I checked in there, the guys that were senior guys had never done anything for real. Hmm. And that was terrifying to me at the time. I mean, I always, I remember thinking, man, if I, if I just get to do one real mission, then I'll be able to kind of sit back and, and retire and, you know, feel good about myself. And yeah. um, man, and then, you know, fast forward a few more years and uh 911 kicks off. I was actually sitting on the quarterback at, at Damnak and uh, yeah, the phone calls start coming in and uh, yeah, it was like, man, we're, we're, we're going to war. Wow. And then, yeah, then it went from, yeah, I just want to do one real mission to you know, a few years later, we're sitting in Iraq and, you know, in a, a little airfield or not a little airfield and we're sitting at Baghdad International in one of the hangars. And if it had been more than a few hours, like, man, this is lame. Everything's getting so slow wow. here because we're just we're doing hits multiple times in the day. Wow. Um. So, yeah, definitely a big, big change in, uh, in perspective on that. OK, so can you talk us through what? So
0: when you finished BUDS, you went, do you get assigned to... Like a team, how does that
1: work? So the way it worked for me, so I because I was a corman, I had to do additional training, additional medical training. I all I had was the three or three and a half months of corman. It's like the basic medical okay. course. Okay. So I had to do the dive med training, which is like two or three weeks, and it's basically you're learning stuff specific to dive medicine. Okay, just you know the the different uh, nerve issues that you can have that basically. A dive specific injuries that you can that you can get so went through that then went through jump school then went to 18 delta we were at the last class at fort sam houston san antonio um it's a, the special operations medical course we we went through the short course so it was like six months long and it's basically six months of just cramming as much trauma into you as as they can it was a hmm. phenomenal course in, in fact uh later on i would do a uh I did 2 weeks at Mercy Hospital in in uh San Diego and I remember the first time I watched uh the the cert, or the, the the trauma doctors go through a code like when they were done with it I'm like man I knew like 95% of everything that that doctor said no but way Here's the thing though it was only like head smarts yes. it wasn't it was Experience. all like he would he would say yeah. something. I'd be like, oh, yeah, I know what that is. I could give you the textbook description of it, but I didn't actually know what yeah. it is. Yeah. Um, so anyways, so went through that that course. And then towards the end of that course, uh, they they got orders and they basically they let us choose orders, uh, but they let all the married guys pick first. And then and I was not married at the time. And, okay. and then and then they went by class ranking after that. So I actually really wanted to go to SEAL team, too, uh, because they go to Europe and they ski and they work with the Germans or did back nice. then. Yeah. Um, and so I'm like, man, I used to live over there. I speak German, almost like a native. I've been skiing since I was like five or six years old. Like uh, this is where I need to go. And. No, God had God had other plans. Yeah. Uh, I went to SEAL Team Three. Okay. Uh, you know, deployed to the desert twice with them. Uh, honestly, didn't really like it. I mean, like there was great guys there, but uh, and I do have very fond memories. But I wanted to leave there as quickly as possible. So I, I, you know, I, I graduated from 18 Delta and just drove straight out there. Uh, we had kind of heard through the grapevine that that a SEAL tactical training class had already started. So they're like, oh, don't bother. the 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 rumor was don't bother going out because you're just going to sit around, um, and I'm like, well, I don't have anything else going on, so I'm just going to go out there, and I so I check in, and uh, it's actually the the guy that I checked in with uh, just uh, just died recently, hmm. um, but he. He goes, Well, you know, we started two weeks ago, but all we've done is medical training so far. So you can hop right in. <laughs> so Oh nice. So instead up, yeah, of waiting around, you got a little bit of a Yeah. So head it ended start. up putting me like six to eight months ahead of, of my peers that I that I graduated AT Delta with, which was great because I definitely did not want to sit around. I wanted to just jump right in. So I did my first deployment at team three and then was able to screen to go to dev group, uh, in between the, the next deployment, which is basically, so a, a workup for deployment at the time was between a year to a year and a half to, to get ready. Um, so screened to go to dev group and then, uh, found out that I'd screened positive, I guess, right before I deployed, um, Deployed again to the Middle East, and then came back. This is all still pre 9/11. Uh, came back, and then I I left within a month or two of of returning from from that deployment. Interesting uh, to go to the East Coast so what
0: does can you kind of talk us through what it's what you said it's dev grew or dev development group development group yeah yeah and that's it can you i mean just can you explain that to me like because you're a seal team three and then is this another team within this yeah it's a a
1: different seal team a little bit different mission uh it's a you go through a selection process you have and it's actually it's a really good selection process because you have to already be have done two successful deployments uh you have to have a good reputation within the SEAL teams. And then there's a whole battery of psych tests and physical fitness and all that stuff. And then that's just to, to get a a shot at it. And then you go there and and then out of all these, you know, we started with like 50 or 60 dudes in our class that were all like good guys, like good, good SEALs. Um, And then probably 40% of those guys get, get dropped um, just because they're not, you know, meeting, meeting a standard, or they're not learning something fast enough. Okay. Okay. So, so more or less kind of a, a hot,
0: like the all-star team a little bit, like you've, you've had to have some success and be equipped. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, a, it's a different mission. Yeah, Different mission. Okay. So that was where you were at when nine 11 happened. You, yes. you go to war you, it sounds like you saw quite a bit of action from the get from, with nine 11. What were you thinking in regards to marriage, family, your future, were you just taking this like one day at a time, one year at a time, or did you always have a vision for marriage and family and kind
1: of like what your life looks like now? So uh, it's kind of funny because I think uh, to a friend of mine that I did a platoon with that uh, had, he had some broken service time where he'd gotten out and actually worked for the Navigators um, Mm. and then came back in and he uh, kind of discipled me in, in a platoon and, you know, I was like, 20 years old in that platoon and i was like i'll get married when i'm 25 i'm like i'm confident of that and he pointed me to that verse in the bible that says like don't say i'm such and such a time yeah. i'm going to go do this but rather say you know if the lord wills it and so i didn't end up getting married until i was 30 oh um, really okay yeah so pretty late especially but shoot especially for around this area like like so many of our <laughs> local people around here they're getting married at like 20 years old <laughs> yeah um so i uh, yeah i mean really like i wasn't uh i wasn't opposed to getting married like i, I figured i would get married yeah um, you know, i wanted to get married uh uh but just god did not put the right woman in my life and and that and also like i was you know god put the right woman in my life when it was the right time when yeah. i was also ready for it sure um so i met my wife whoa i don't know 10 11 ish some somewhere in in there 2010 Oh no no i'm, I'm yeah I'm getting, I'm getting numbers mixed up now uh no we got married in 07 so it would have been like oh three, oh four ish okay maybe 05, right, right around there. When we got, uh, when we married, um, started dating, uh, and then, you know, that was the height of the war. So I was, I was downrange, uh, three months out of every nine. And then, Hmm. and then the six months that I was back stateside, more than half of those were spent on the road, you know, doing, doing training. Hmm. Um, so when I decided I was gonna ask her to marry me, it was, uh, I got back from deployment. I basically had six months before I was gonna deploy again. So I had two months to, to get a ring and and yeah. uh and ask ask her dad permission and then and then pop the question to her and then like well let's get married. So two months to plan a wedding and then uh got married and then had two months of being married and then deployed, and then I think two weeks into that first deployment of me being married, uh she sent me a picture. I remember I'm sitting in in a, you know, morale tent in Jalalabad, Afghanistan, typing on a little Panasonic tough book. Uh, and I, I, get a email from her with a picture of a positive pregnancy test. Oh, nice. Um, so that was, crazy. that was cool. Yeah. So then
0: what was that? I mean, that's a crazy thing that your wife signed up for. Cause this, how many
1: years did you keep serving after marriage and like after having kids? What was that like? So fortunately I was always already fairly senior. That was my, that was the last pump that I ended up doing as a team leader. Okay. Um, so I, I told him, Hey, after, after this deployment, I need to, cause I'd already been in this squadron for like seven ish. Yeah. About seven years, hmm. um, or seven and a half years. So like, I was like, Hey, I want to, I need to, I need some downtime. Yeah. Um, so finished finished that last pump and then did did a low you know states I still at the command but just a different different job did that for a year um uh, it was definitely harder harder mentally uh that first deployment being married like yeah. the whole old testament the young men shouldn't go off to war until they've been married for a year yeah Man, I see so much wisdom in that now. Like I, I didn't really have a choice in the matter, uh, but I, I see a lot of wisdom in that. Just because mm-hmm. there, it was like it was harder mentally for me. Yeah. Uh. So. Yeah, did did that, and then I, I deployed. Shoot, three or four more times at least. Wow. After after that, but yeah, I had some, I had some, some, some downtime stateside, but before before kind of getting back in in the mix. Yes. Um, yes. Okay. So then when you and your wife got married, did you, were you, had you guys
0: talked kids, children, were you guys aligned with that? Or is that something that you kind of both grew together in as, as your marriage went on?
1: So I think, uh, I'm pretty sure I did before we were married. I did say something like, that's it. I, like, or, uh, I think seven kids is a good, I said, it's a good nice. even number to shoot for. <laughs> uh, so uh so i th- I think we were both kind of tracking on the same you know whether how serious that was at the time it was just like hey which looks looks like a good plan um yeah. I think our pastor at the time had like five kids and we just thought that was huge like oh my yeah. god like how on earth do they manage five children uh so, yeah, that and then the the homeschool piece we actually talked about before we got married. Mm. It was short. Like I I think I already like had a I think I already had a ring in the works and like was getting ready to propose. Uh, but we're actually we're up in Wheaton. Uh, my my parents had had moved back from Africa, and they're they're living in Wheaton, Illinois. And my brother, so we're they're visiting. So I took Mariah with me to kind of meet the family and we they're visiting. And my brothers are telling me how at Christmas time, they sing uh, Kwanzaa songs and Jewish songs and Muslim songs along with Christian songs. And hmm. I just remember like indignation. I was just <laughs> like, I remember looking at, at, at Mariah and going, that's it. Like we're, I'm not going downrange and like spending this time there and friends are getting killed so that Our children can be taught that all cultures are equal, but also look at all the bad things America's done. Uh, And so because I'd kind of been anti-homeschooling before that, Uh, living in Africa, some of my sisters were homeschooled for a little while. And I just kind of remember looking at it like, like I I mean, I went to full-on socialist schools in Germany. The school that I went to in Africa was absolutely a socialist school. Um, I had my English teachers would argue with me on, you know, the merits of of socialism over capitalism. And I was, yeah. you know, at 13 or 14 years old, I was game to, yeah, yeah you're wrong. <laughs> um, And so I had the attitude of like, well, I was able to get through that. Hmm. So they should as well. And now I look back on it, i'm like, man, that's just by God's grace. Like, that's how hmm. God made me is that I was good with just with telling a teacher, no, I think you're wrong. And most people aren't made that way. And Now I just, I really look at it as, it's it's time. Like how much time do you have? You know, I I look at it back when I was active duty, I would leave for work around six or so, 6.30 in the morning. So before my children would wake up, I'd get home at 4.30 or five. uh, And then my kids went to bed at seven. So how much time is that really for me to influence them? Versus from the moment, you know, as soon as they start going to school, they're going to be around seven or seven thirty. They're going to be standing out front, waiting for a school bus with other kids. As soon as they get on the school bus, they're they're also with other kids now. And basically, at each level, all you know, the vast majority of the teachers, the vast majority of the other children that they're going to be around, are probably going to have a worldview that is not congruent with mine. And that is not, you know, if if my, you know, my chief duties, as I see them, is to, to no one let you. know. To give glory to God, right? That that's my number one purpose in life. I do that by, you know, honoring Him, following His commands to the mm-hmm. you know, to the best of my ability, um, loving my wife and raising my children to know and love Him. Mm-hmm. Like the, those are the most important things. So if if raising my children to know and love Jesus is, you know, right up there with the you know the most important things, then how? Really, it's like how how dare I outsource that wow. and just hope for the best? Wow! Um, so I am. I would encourage anyone listening to this that is not homeschooling. <laughs> I was telling I was telling Elisha before we got going. I'm like, I am. I like I will stop training if guys ask about homeschooling, and we'll talk about homeschooling for a little <laughs> while because homes, you know, uh, you know, train the, the training I do to, to protect yourself and your family. Like that's you winning now but if 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 we lose with our you know our 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 children growing up and you know the old adage of you know it, when when you give your children to or just to, to caesar and you don't yeah. be surprised when they come back romans yeah like we lose it's it's a bigger loss hmm. um so yeah i'm I've, i would really encourage anyone listening to this uh it's not you don't have to have a degree in teaching people you you know there's plenty of homeschool co-ops there's it is not it's not rocket science to to teach your children and mm. no one loves your kids more than you do yes um so yeah you guys should all be doing that yeah <laughs> <laughs> i love it well you know I, I
0: it's interesting how you mentioned when you were processing the, the concept of homeschooling versus public schooling and you were relating it to your own experience you said well i made it through that like i came out You know, all right. Rather than even asking the question, was that is that the best way to equip my kids? Like, is our goal just to let have our kids get through it? We say, oh boy, they they got through it. They survived. They held on to some something resembling a Christian faith. Or is our mindset, boy, we want to disciple these these kiddos, and while we have this short season, it is such a short season that they oh, are awesome. under our roof yeah. and the hours are so finite that we have that strong influence in their life. And rather than saying, Hey, they can make it through in this program, or they might be able to survive through this program. Say, boy, I want to do all I can to equip them with the faith, with the tools, with the knowledge, with the wisdom, um, that is really necessary to, to walk in this life as Christians. Um, with where you're currently at with your family, you, 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 what is it there you guys live on a farm or you guys live on a property are they out doing hands-on work with animals are they are they building things or is it, is it are they in the books all day what is what does the, their life look
1: like they're definitely not in the books all day okay. <laughs> they're uh, uh they get up in the morning and they will they'll go out and do chores and then uh different kids are responsible for different meals so like okay. the kids are actually doing doing meals for for each other oh cool uh then uh generally my wife will do some sort of bible lesson with them and then they do their school for a while and then and then they're back out running around outside and yes building things uh number one daughter is trying to do a quail business right now Hmm. So she's 14 and she, she built a quail pen and she went and acquired like 50 quail Wow! and, and has called around to the local grocery stores to like uh, she doesn't have a contract, but they've told her they will buy no quail eggs from her at, at, at a certain price. And uh, it's like, so I really encourage that. Like the, I guess part of that is I, I didn't grow up doing small business stuff Yeah. and now that we're running a couple of businesses, I've, like I really enjoy that, so I'm trying to encourage my my children in that as well. Uh, so and then we've got church stuff and and yep. and our homeschool kind of co op group going on. Uh, so yeah, there's there's definitely yeah like, it's, like you said at right. the beginning, life is very full, right? Yeah, <laughs> I love it. I love it. What can you just tell me real quick? The ages of your children. So my oldest is 14 and then she's a girl. And then the next five are boys, 12, 10, eight, six, three. Uh, and then the youngest is. Okay. Well, okay. So you've got a youngster
0: and then you've got a teenager. That's pretty awesome. I love that. You know, something else that, uh, like made me really happy was to hear that you guys actually play music together as a family a lot too. And you said you, you do worship as a family. Uh, and sometimes you even lead worship at your church kind of with, with different members of your family. Is that something that you had a heart for from the get or what, or was it something that just kind of evolved over time?
1: So I did not grow up playing an instrument. In fact, uh, in a funny story, they, my parents put me into piano lessons, uh, in Germany and, you know, the piano teacher was a very strict German lady and we didn't really get along very well. And I, I remember one time forgetting that I was supposed to go to her house after school and like running the whole way to get to her house. And I'm like a sweaty mess. And <laughs> she was just not happy with that. Um, so I, I did not continue with piano lessons, which yeah. I, I really regret now. Like I, I kind of wish my parents would have forced me to continue sure. Um So it wasn't – and then I'd messed around a little bit with guitar when I was like 13, but uh, it was really – it was right before my first deployment. I told my dad, I'm like, I'm going to have all this time because it was an ARG deployment, so I was going to be on a ship for – way too long um and so i told my dad i'd be interested in learning guitar and he gave me a guitar in a case and it's funny that I, I still have that same guitar still have the same case no uh, i generally don't lead worship with it now because uh it doesn't have a, a, a pickup on it yeah. Uh, but yeah i mean it's just funny how you know i remember learning you know down in in the in my, my, the, the birthing space playing guitar there or, you know, or up on the deck of the ship, you know, going through the, the, the Persian Gulf and like never would have thought, you know, 25 years later, I'd be leading worship. Um, so that, and honestly, it was not something that, uh, I was not looking to do that. Uh, the, you know, I, I'm not, I'm okay at, at playing it. Like I'm not incredibly musically talented. Um, I'm like, I'm okay. You know, I, sure, I can, you can keep I, rhythm and make the,
0: make yeah, the chord changes. Changes. I, yeah, I can yeah. do that
1: and, and I can do sh- some leadership stuff. <laughs> um, but I'm not like, uh, the most amazing guy uh, musically. Uh, so I was really hoping that someone else would, would take it at our church. And actually the guy that I was really hoping that that was a professional musician and just loved the Lord, um, him and his family were driving to church uh, a couple of years ago when they, icy morning on one of the, one of the turns and uh, him and his daughter were both killed. No way. Um. Yeah. Wow. And you drove right by it when you, when you came out no, to do no training way. with us.
0: No way. Um, a tragedy. Wow.
1: So yeah, that was, yeah, that was super sad. And, and then kind of, we just got to a point where I'm like, well, I should and it, it really started post COVID because you know we like most other churches we we shut down for a short period of time uh when when covid hit because mm-hmm. we just didn't know what was going to go on yeah you know how bad it was going to be and then as soon as we kind of figured it out that hey this isn't really that big of a deal for for most people we mm-hmm. came back but um some of our older musicians did not come back hmm. uh so it has been so I, I would say I was somewhat reluctant and it was kind of a, well, there's really no one else and, and I can do it. So I probably should. Cause I, you know, like I'd led worship for, you know, some, some services overseas hmm. um, you know, when we were downrange, I'd done a little bit of worship stuff. I'd done it for some small group stuff uh, back at, at in Vaughn beach, uh, but definitely never for, for church. Yeah. Uh, and man, it's, it is just, been such a blessing like we have probably i don't know eight to ten of us up there in the mornings half of them are younger people awesome um, and yeah i've got uh, number one sons up there with a banjo number one daughter with a fiddle nice uh, number two sons in the what we call the mandalorian section sitting next to my dad with a couple other younger boys that all play the mandolin what um, you've got you've got multiple mandolins on your worship got team multiple mandolins yeah so <laughs> yeah you don't see that very often It's pretty, uh, it's just been a huge blessing to to do that. And uh, just to see the heart of these young, young men and women, uh, you know, because they're now leading worship for, for, you know, the youth, youth things. Hmm. And uh, it's just been super cool to to see that. Um, And then also it makes our, you know, family worship at home it's like, all right, grab, you know, everyone grab your instruments. And um, it's just, it's cool. Oh, that's great. You were
0: mentioning something earlier about uh, kind of the way you and your wife start your day. And I was really intrigued by that because my wife and I just are are just so grateful to have, you know, like a weekly planning session, you know, monthly check-ins, looking at quarterly goals and just evaluating life. And it sounds like you guys have something that really keeps
1: you on the same page organized. And can you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. Uh, so we, we started this maybe two or three years ago. And, uh, if, if I could, uh, if I could reach back in time and choke myself and and, and say, Hey, knucklehead, you should have been doing this as soon as you got married. I, I would <laughs> absolutely do this. So for anyone listening, like I would highly recommend that y'all institute this. So basically we, we get up in the morning and we will have, some quiet time where we just, we'll sit there and we'll read the Bible. Like hmm. we're not reading it. I mean, we're, we're co-located, but we're not reading sure. the same, the same thing Whereas where we're, we're each at. Um, we'll read the Bible. If we have enough time, um, we'll also read maybe another I'm reading 1689 London Baptist confession right now. Nice. That's my, that's my other like nice. spiritual that's a, reading. That's, that a, I'm good, going like, that's a, a good light. Like, it's a good light read. read. I like yeah. That. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And then we'll pray together and then we'll discuss kind of the plan of the day. Like what do we have going on? And then usually it's plan of the day and plan of the next couple days coming. Uh, and man, that has just been such a great, uh, it's just been a very good thing for our marriage for, uh, um, walk with the Lord. It's just been a, it's been a good thing. So I would really encourage, uh, you know, anyone. If you're not doing something along these lines, I would really encourage you to. Do it. It's worth losing a little bit of sleep to, you know, be able to be in the word with your wife hmm. and to kind of talk through. Hey, what, what's the plan of the day? Especially if you live a maybe non-standard sure. life, i.e., hey, my my job is not. It doesn't always start and finish at the same. You know, I mean, right. we've just got so much stuff going on. It's really um, very important to talk about hey what, what do we have going on yeah yeah I want to hear about kind of what you have going
0: on currently with your businesses but maybe as a way to kind of segue into that could you talk a little bit about that transition from being in the military because you served a full 20 years is that right you're 20, 20 years 20 years in a month 20 years in a month okay and um and pretty much that entire time well yeah because it's because you said you went to buds right when you're in so for the majority of that time you're you're in the seals is that correct Yes. Pretty much that, that entire time. So what was that like more for you on like a personal level? Like you're just as a man, I'm speaking like as a man, you know, as I'm 31, I've got four kids and yet I have, I'm so prone. My propensity is to just like place my identity in the dollar amount I'm bringing in, or, you know, the activity that I'm doing for my job in the given month. Um, and I mean, from my perspective, it seems like the job that you had, could really lend to that. Cause it's a, I mean, that's a lifestyle. You know, you're you're putting your life on the line. The training that you're doing is nonstop. It's a full, full, you're, you're in all the way when you're doing that. So what was that like for you coming out of that, starting businesses, being a father, and was that a challenge for you while you were in and then coming out um, with that, with where your identity was? You're like, who you know, who, who am I, am I a Navy SEAL or am I a father, am
1: I a Christian, am I a husband? What was that like? yeah so that that really it brings up a great point it was actually uh the thrust of father son ministry which i'm sure we'll talk about uh, yeah. later uh for a whole year and it's it, your identity in christ mm-hmm. uh and yeah i mean I've, I've watched a lot of guys go through that crisis of well, what is my identity now that i'm no longer kicking doors on a daily basis uh and by, by god's grace i have not had really have not had issues with that there's Hmm. been so few times that i'm like i think that the first time where i was like man i miss it a little bit was uh watched that movie uh not horse soldiers the one at the beginning of the invasion of iraq maybe 13 oh yeah 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 13
0: strong or something yeah yeah Yeah,
1: so just watching that and like seeing the like as their as their captain is like going and he's like trying to get the mission like because like, I mean, that, that really resonated. I remember being in that, like, put me in coach, like, are we going to get it? Are we going to get it? And so that brought it back a little bit, but honestly, like, man, I got to do so much cool stuff, got to work with so many cool guys. It was a great, uh, it was a great time, but I'm doing other great things right now. And, and honestly, the, I'm doing more important things right now. And that's, raising my kids to know and love Jesus like that is more important being involved in our local community and, and, and trying to, you know, encourage other men and other boys, um, to know and love Christ. Like that, like that's more important than me going down range and kicking doors. And mm-hmm. it was, so it was a great season of my life to be able to do that. I'm, am very grateful that, that I was able to do that. I'm grateful to, to God, number one, to the, to the, my teammates, uh, but no, I don't. When guys are like, "Do you miss it?" Not really. Like hmm. there's there's little elements of it that I miss, hmm. um, but I really I, I don't miss it. I didn't go through the the whole, you know, start drinking heavily because because <laughs> you're not in the sure. teams and you know like it just wasn't. Uh, yeah, I, it wasn't. You know, it's like no, we're we're moving on. Like there's yeah. not. In fact, it's one of the things that I I tell people in training. I'm like, yeah, I, I do have on my on my bio that I was a seal. Um, and if that gets you to come train with me, great. Like I did, I did earn that. Um, however, I don't want you to come back and train with me because of what I did 20 years ago. Like, Mm -hmm. I want you to come back and train with me because you're getting the best possible training that you can get. Mm -hmm. Um, so no, I'm, I'm excited to, you know, to be doing what we're doing now and just kind of yeah seeing what god is 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 teaching and the the direction that we're going and the the challenges definitely not 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 easy like i think i've been busier and to some degrees and in certain circumstances more stressed being a civilian (laughs) um than than uh than in the service because just Mm. there's you know there's there's a lot going on now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. and then the, so something else to speak to just what, what you were talking about, like identity in, you know, dollars, like yeah. income, I honestly, I think for guys in, you know, I don't really know you that well. Um, but I, I, I would place you in, in kind of the category of a lot of my friends just mm. demographically. And mm-hmm. it's the, generally guys that are, um, they're doing well, uh, you know, they're they're successful in business, they're they're following the Lord. Mm-hmm. Uh surety of income, I think, is one of the easiest idols to succumb to for like for that demographic right there, because it's taking something that is good. You know, we're supposed to, if we don't provide for our families, we're worse than infidels, right? So we're we're supposed to be working. And so that's a good thing. And so the devil comes along and twists it a little bit and goes, Hey, your identity should be wrapped up in making money. And mm it shouldn't be like you're, you know, yes, that's something that you need to do. However, that is not what your identity is about. Your identity has to be in Christ first and foremost, then in being a husband and then in being a father next, and then, you know, maybe being involved in your church and, and then yeah, making money is something that you need, you need to provide for your family somehow. Um, but it should not consume you. And, and that has been a not that I'm worried about that, but I guess just coming from being in the, you know, being an active duty guy, whether I was downrange, you know, going hundred miles an hour or laid up on my couch for two months with a broken leg, like my paycheck did not change. Hmm. It was still there, you know, the first and 15th, uh, every month. Now being a civilian, like as, as another one of my friends told me right, right after I got out, he goes, Bill, sometimes as a civilian, you got (laughs) to hustle. So, um, and I get, I get what he's, I get what he, um, what he means by that is like, Hey, you gotta like, you know, you, so I've had a hard time kind of switching it off sometimes. Hmm. Um, and going from like, I've hunted way less being as you know i mean we live in, in an amazing spot i can hunt i have hunted in in my backyard um actually a really cool thing we had to shoot a nice little buck with with or my number one daughter got to do it oh cool um so but just being able to, to shut it off and go hey i like i'm not going to worry about this right now i'm not like having boundaries with phones and emails and yeah. And, and actually we, we've hired a couple gals that have been hugely helpful with that to where like I really answer very few of my emails anymore hmm. or directly answer them anyways. Yeah. Um, you know, that, that was definitely a stressor in my life, like trying to stay on top of all that stuff. So now having, having people that are helping with that is, is, is huge. And it does allow me to step back a little bit. And, um, actually one of the things Ryan and I were just talking about this morning, one of the podcasts she was listening to, uh, this couple was, you know, they run a business together and they were talking about, they take a month where they just like go someplace else. They don't do any business stuff. And they just, you know, they, they, they flip flop days of, uh, just have, having time to just go think and, and pray and read and just kind of like refresh and, and get direction. Yes. And, uh, yeah, I don't know if we can swing a month right now, but yeah. that would was be she, like like, in you saying, "Hey, I got yeah, oh, idea. definitely." Yeah. She's like, "I'm just thinking, of course, I'm thinking dollars." And I'm like, uh, "Where are we going to rent a place for a month? <laughs> like, are we not going to work for a month?" Uh, but I think that the, the idea is is sound, and it is something that we've been doing on a smaller scale. Is just like having those times to go. Hey, are we are we doing the right thing? Like, are we? I mean, one of the things that we've talked about is potentially like next year, me cutting my travel in half hmm. just because, you know, right. So this year I think I've got 12 away trips. Those trips are anywhere from four or five days to uh, the longest one was like 11 days, hmm. um, 11 days, way too long. Hmm. Uh, so uh, just, just, you know, where, where my kids are at right now. Uh, hmm. I think I need to be around more and Also, like that could open up some other business things that we've been wanting to do. We've been wanting to do this kind of like a training group, national training groups, putting out monthly curriculum that would be online, like for a core group of guys. Like, uh, I think it's a phenomenal idea. It's something I've wanted to do for a long time. And I think we've had the infrastructure built for it online for almost two years now. And I just haven't had the time to, uh, yeah it's helpful to be married to a web developer um i like it <laughs> so i i just haven't had it because i want to make sure when we jump into it that i actually have enough time to devote to doing that so like that's that's one of the things um i and that's another thing i really would encourage guys to do is is uh you know taking that real estate term of highest and best use you know of like that that's how you're supposed to evaluate properties what's the highest and best use for this piece of property um it's wasted on real estate, highest, best use for your life, like yeah, for serving yeah. God, like how is, uh, you know, and I think at least on a quarterly basis, you should be asking yourself that is, mm. is what is like, am I, you know, I've got, you yeah, know, I'm 45 now, so I've got maybe another 40 years, mm. um, like that, hey, am I serving God to, to my highest and best use for his glory? Mm. Um, and so I think that that's an important thing to, uh, you know, to, to take time and look at. Yeah. Yeah.
0: In regards to your current businesses, um, I've been able to attend one of your two day training, uh, courses, which was awesome. Uh, I, I did buy one of your knives, which is awesome as well. One of your blades are those kind of your two main businesses right now. The, the knife business and your training, your training,
1: Yeah.
0: I, uh, you know, it actually, actually probably, I don't know if I've even shared this with my listeners, but I had no clue what uh, I like many people over the last couple of years have taken, you know, protecting my family. I think it's like, I I want to protect my family. And so I've, I've bought my first guns over the last like six months, you know, and, uh, just started being more thoughtful of that and it's funny cuz i you know both of my guns i was like taking the tags off of them when i was driving to your course i not taking those things you know taking the wrappers off of those things and i and i just bought whatever ammo this st- i think i was the salesman's best like case scenario yeah. i went in and i was like hey i i just need some a bunch of stuff you know like and he just he just loaded me up and took my credit card so showing up there i was like boy I don't know. I don't, e- I don't even know where to start, you know, and I felt like I jumped into the deep end because you, you are, you, you do high level training. I mean, your, your abilities are high level. It seems like a lot of your clientele are guys that take it very seriously and train often and are very, you know, equipped and very skilled in the craft, you know, shooting and, and, and being good with, you uh, yeah with just self-defense and fighting. What would you say to a guy like me before, you know, I showed up to your course? It's like, how do you get started? Because again, I'm talking to guys that are my age, my stage every day that are buying a gun for their first time, that are being more thoughtful about protecting their family, getting security systems.
1: Um, So like, what would you tell a total newbie like me? So I I guess first off, just to fill uh, the, the people listening to this, this podcast in, Elisha jumped in to the intro to winter skills course, which yes, there was pistol and carving use in there, but, but really that was, that was kind of a small portion of that class. Yeah. Uh, so basically this class started with, um, we're all going to carpool because you can't even drive where we're going. And then you have to have all your equipment for the next two days of training and camping out in the snow and snowshoes. And we start with about a half mile walk, uh, through the snow to get to the training site. And then we've got a get stoves going and make water and make food and build shelters and oh and then we'll go shoot yeah (laughs) Um, you know and then come back and let's do a fire making class and I think we did a mindset talk then around the fire and then the next day get up and do it all again until you know until we walked out that evening so that that was uh it's actually the first time I'd done an open enrollment class along those lines. I really liked it. I think I'm going to do it again. Just I, I love doing winter skills like that, um, and I think it was, you know, the guys really enjoyed it. I think it was a good class. Oh, I love um, it. Yeah. But that is definitely not where I would say for someone to start. Yeah, just jump into this class where it's like um, definitely right into the deep end of things. So where I generally tell guys is. So if we go down the list of what's most important to, to protect ourselves and our families, number one is awareness. If you're lacking in awareness at any point, right? I mean, just if, if you're listening to this now while you're driving, if you look down at your phone for a few seconds and drift a little bit to the left, that's potentially it for you. So yeah. having awareness, which starts off as situational awareness and then and then leads to big picture awareness, kind of intel picture of what's going on in your in your area. Uh That's the number one thing that gets you out of a bunch of problems. That's that lets you see the shady people, you know, a hundred yards away on the same side of the street as you. And you're like, let me go ahead and cross the street or let me box around this block. Or let me just go ahead and get into my car now and drive someplace else. Um, So awareness is number one. Then the next one would be 100% safety with your tools. And when I say tools, I mean, you know, firearms, blades and anything that you're going to use to protect yourself and your family. Um, the odds of you using your tools to protect yourself are very low. Uh, so if you can't be hundred percent safe around your family with those tools, honestly, you're better off, put the guns in the safe, wait for things to truly go crazy and then pull them out. Hmm. Um, but it's not hard to learn how to be hundred percent safe, right? You know, finger off the trigger. Don't sweep people gently reholster, like all that stuff. It's not hard to do. It just requires some discipline. So 100% safety. Then the next one would be actually making sure that your gun goes bang when you want it to go bang. And people are like, that's easy. Yes, it's easy. And also, I watch guys all the time pull their pistols out, and they go click Hmm. instead of bang first, right? We call it dead man's gun, no round in the chamber. Uh, So teaching a proper loading procedure, or what I call a circle of awareness. So all those things, are we haven't even gotten into actually pulling the trigger yet those Hmm. things are more important then the next would be a clean draw stroke from concealment so when you go to the range don't put on an outside the waistband holster it's very popular right now in industry put a battle belt on and like kind of look like a soldier or cop and the reality is you don't ever wear that yeah so why train with that right If, if the objective is to protect ourselves and our families then we should train with the same tools that we carry And we should carry them the way we actually carry them on a daily basis. Um, So everything I run, other than the night vision class that I do, or if I'm teaching, you know, cops or military guys, uh, everything else that I run is concealed. So starting off with uh, everything from concealment, being able to pull your pistol out and get a decent shot in. Hmm. Then the next two things would be, and I put these on the same plane, uh, other strong hand only blade deployment and targeting. So being able to with your, so I'm a right-handed shooter, right? I'm right-handed. Um, so I refer to my right hand as my strong hand and my left hand is my other strong hand because words matter and we shouldn't say strong hand and weak hand. that's just hmm. horrible, um, right? I have a strong hand, other strong hand. So if I can, with my other strong hand, deploy a lethal tool, it makes me an order of magnitude harder to deal with. Hmm. I mean, just, Having taught this to a bunch of guys now, it is way, way harder for me to deal with. When we put training stuff on, way harder for me to deal with someone if they can produce a lethal tool with either from from either side. And just think, someone's going for your your pistol, and you put your strong hand on top of their hand on top of the pistol so they can't pull it out, and then you pull with your other strong hand, you pull your blade out, hmm. um, and that that allows you to win. It's super, super easy. Um, so that. And then next would be combative weapons retention shooting. So, weapons retention shooting is just hey, if we're in that stand-up grappling range where I can lay hands on you, if we're inside of that range, you should be shooting from a weapons retention position, which is just the pistol pulled all the way back, hmm. in basically the butt of the pistol on your rib cage. Um, so it's harder for the enemy to take it away from you. Uh, so being and then being able to fight through all of that. So all of those skills I put into the responsible armed citizen category and that's where that's what I recommend everyone starts with because it is much more likely that you know random violence at the gas station is much more likely than complete lawlessness uh, you know everyone going crazy sure. the crazy people trying to burn you out of your house right which if the crazy people are trying to burn you out of your house your your responsible armed citizen skills can help you. But your modern Minuteman skills—that—that's kind of the uh, the next level. Uh, that would be your carbine use, your precision rifle use, your all your environmentals, your navigation, like that stuff. Um, I tell guys, hey, ma- make sure you can fight and shoot a pistol and work a blade before you jump into those other things, hmm. because while well, those other things they they might be fun to train, and and I think if you if you're into this, like man, you you can protect your family a lot better if you know if if that were. If the, if the crazy people come and they want to try and burn you out of your house and hurt your family, man, you can do a lot of what we call, uh, Tom Kyer calls it negative voting, right? So negative voting right here. Nice. That, that is easier to do with a rifle <laughs> than it is with a pistol. Hmm. Um. So it's a, it's, a, it's a good thing to be able to do, but we should always, always, always start with awareness, start with safety, start with carrying tools, start with understanding how to fight, understanding how to produce those tools under pressure. Like that's where, that's always where I would steer guys towards. So for, with my classes, it would be a responsible armed citizen class, basically any of the pistol or pistol combatives classes. Responsible armed citizen is one of them. Integrated combatives. Integrated combatives is probably the one that if you're already shoot pistols and and carry, that's probably your biggest increase in capability will come with that class. Um, the force on force class is another one because we're, we're still teaching hard skills in each one of these classes. So we're still working pistol fundamentals. We're still working blade and combatives fundamentals. But then with the force on force course, we actually, uh, you have to show up with an airsoft pistol and then we, we shoot each other and in, in, not in airsofting, but in specific, uh, you know, what we call situational drills. Yeah. So you're getting robbed or someone's trying to hurt your family and then, and then go. Yeah. Uh, so, Any of those classes, the, the low light class would be another one. You know, a lot of times, uh, these situations where you do need to protect yourself and your family come up at nighttime. So we start doing a low light class where Hmm. we shoot that class day into night. So we don't show up until like noon or 1230, something like that. And then we do a daytime block and then we do a nighttime block where you're actually shooting your pistol with, you know, under low light or no light conditions. Hmm. And, um, I jokingly say that that, that course should be called, you're going to buy a flashlight and put it on your gun. Um, because I mean, it's, it's self-explanatory. You you shoot a drill with a flashlight in your hand and you shoot a drill with a flashlight mounted on your pistol. And it's like, which, uh, what do you want to do if, if that is saving your family's life? And Hmm. it's, it's a no brainer. I mean, you're generally at least a third faster and probably thirty percent or more accurate as well, uh, if you're sh- if you have a weapons-mounted light versus hmm. if you're holding a handheld light while you're shooting. Hmm. Um, so all those things are, is what I would recommend guys do first, and then at once they have that, then get into the carbine classes, the precision rifle classes, the you know intro to winter skills class, <laughs> um, any of that kind of. Which is still, I mean, we're st- with all those classes. We still do fundamentals with everything because yeah. that really is. There's no secret sauce to any of this stuff, right? Yeah. Being proficient with your with your firearms is just having mastered fundamentals. Getting mm-hmm. to what we call a unconscious competence level within with your tools. Um, the only way we get that is by deliberate training with feedback. So mm-hmm. just continuously working. All right, guys, now I want you to focus on how you're holding the pistol, right? What's your grip? What are you pushing with? With the other strong hand, are you pushing thumb and middle finger, thumb and index finger? Okay, what part of the finger are you pulling, right? All those things. You just have to do it over and over again until the conscious decision is, this dude's trying to kill my family. I need to pull my pistol out and shoot him right now. That's that's the conscious decision. Everything else then happens unconsciously or subconsciously, right? Mm -hmm. Your draw stroke just happens. Your grip happens, your good trigger squeeze happens, your recoil management happens, like all those, the movement required, like all those things just happen after you've made a conscious decision that, yes, this, I need to use lethal force, sir.
0: Hmm. Well, yeah, that's so, I mean, I, yeah, I wish I would have, wish I would have heard all that before I signed up for your course. No, I'm joking. I, that course was, was, it really was game changer. And it really, it really sobered me up. And actually I was able to find a group here in Coeur d'Alene of some guys that have already trained with you. Um, and that's been a huge blessing to me is finding a group to, to train with consistently, um, which I've been really grateful for. You know, you talked about the mindset. We, we did the mindset conversation around the campfire. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if you could, I know we, we've got to wrap things up here pretty quickly, but just like, your overall philosophy around self-defense around protecting your family, you know, what your mindset should be in, uh, I guess, you know, employing le- lethal force and how to avoid that. I really appreciated everything you had to say about that. So I don't know if you could like in a couple minutes, share somewhat of your philosophy around protecting your family as, as it pertains to a, to a Christian, you know, and this is stuff yeah. that you've talked about even through your career, you know, where, where you talked about there being cultures within Christianity that, that are more pac- pacifistic in, in, uh, in their beliefs. Um, um, and yet you've you've obviously come to a, to a to a belief that you you know feel like you're really right before God in all this. I think that's been really helpful for me to hear. So I don't know if you could kind of close us out with that.
1: Yeah, so so first off, uh, how you feel about protecting yourself and your family should not contradict your most deeply held beliefs. Right, you can't go. Well, yeah, I'm going to do this, you know, and 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 you say a lot of words with, you know, with. Well, if this happens, I'm going to do this. But then, when you're thinking about your your most deeply held beliefs, you're like, I mean, this this is maybe wrong. Hmm. Like they have to be congruent, right? We'll we'll talk about personas sometimes, um, or I I think in 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 Christianese, it it would be your identity. Mm -hmm. So my identity is a as a Christ follower has to be like, that's more important to me than my identity as protect, you know, as a teacher or as a, you know, protecting myself or protecting my family. Like those other things are lower identities or lower personas. Um, So I have to make sure that it is congruent with it. Hmm. Um, If, if I end up doing something that is you know, when I look back on it, I'm like, oh man, that was over the top. I shouldn't have done that. Like I would have regret mm-hmm. if, if, if that happened. Um, and so the, and this really, this gets into the willingness portion of the, uh, the readiness formula, right. Which comes from SIOC just to sure. We're giving credit where credit is due. Yeah. The readiness formula stands on three legs. We have awareness, we have willingness, and then we have preparedness. Hmm. And if we're lacking in any one of those areas, we're more likely to fail. So awareness, as we, we talked about already, it's that head on a swivel, constantly asking yourself, who's this person? What are they doing here? Then willingness. And this is kind of the, the big one. What am I willing to do? Like, have you, are you willing to shoot someone that is Hurting your children, right? That's generally the easiest one for people to be like, oh yeah, I would definitely do that. Okay, how about your wife? How about your neighbor's kids? How about your neighbor, right? Where does that stop? Where does that willingness stop? And you need to think that through because the time to think it through is now. Hmm. Not when you're in the heat of the moment, you're angry, maybe you just got punched in the face. Like, uh, are you gonna pull a pistol out if it's a fist fight and you're still on your feet, hmm. like that's something. And, and, and honestly, it's like, it depends. Are you 85 years old? And hmm. like that, that shot almost knocked you out. And, and, and the guy attacking you was 30, like, yeah. you know, or are, are you a woman or, yeah. or is it me? Yeah. You know, I'm like, no, I'm not going to shoot someone for, for, for punch me in the face, you know? So like these, these are things that are, you need to think about ahead of time. Um, with you, what, what are you willing to do? It's super, super important. If you don't think through your willingness beforehand, you end up with regret and it's either regret due to inaction or regret due to overaction. Hmm. Um, and then we need to frame all these discussions within, well, what is my primary identity? Hmm. Well, I'm, I'm a, I'm a Christian. That's so, so I have to go is what I'm doing lining up with what the Bible says? Yeah. Right. So the if, if we got any King James only folks listening, um, you know, if you if you turn to the set of rules in, in your Bible. All right. Thou shalt not kill. Right. Well, if we look at any of the more modern translations. uh, They all say murder. Right. And so the King James Version is not wrong when it says kill, because if you murder someone, you are killing them. But if you're killing someone, you're not necessarily murdering them. So if we look at what that, you know, the ancient Hebrews had different words for killing, just like we today have different words for killing. Right. It's it's one thing if you're mad at your neighbor and you go shoot them versus if you're driving on the interstate and someone runs in front of your car. Yeah. Right. Those are two separate things, both you know, the way the law looks at it morally, like they are two separate things. So the ancient Hebrews had different things, d- you know, different words for that. There are different, uh, punishments for, Hey, if that, the ax head flies off and strikes your neighbor, this was one punishment. Yeah. Someone breaks into your house in the daytime. It's one thing. If it's at nighttime, it's another thing. So there, there were different, you know, context for that. And then also, I, I mean, the, the one that always resonated with me the most was, um, David was a man after God's own heart hmm. and David, they David killed so many people that they sang songs about it. Right. Saul has mm-hmm. slain thousands and David is tens of thousands. Mm-hmm. Right. So he was not condemned for that. He, he had to pay a penalty for murdering, you know, Uriah the Hittite and yeah. <laughs> committing adultery yeah. with his wife. Um, right. So, God called him out for that. He he paid a penalty for that, not for uh not for the 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 killing that he did in battle. Sure. Um and so it's but the, the other part of it is, and this is something that as I've been teaching more, like I like I was you know, I don't know, probably five years ago or so I was I was convicted about this is just I, I recognize that people listen to me or I do, a, I've got a platform. Um, and I, so as I'm like, I better be right about what I'm hmm. saying here. Cause this yeah. is important because yeah. I am kind of speaking from a position of authority. Um, and so I started looking at how, how did I approach killing when I was in service? And I think I was too nonchalant about it. Hmm. Like it was never a, Oh, I feel bad about this. Or like, I felt bad if non-combatants were killed mm-hmm. accidentally. Um, but even that, like, that was very easy for me to go, well, if we wouldn't have gone in here, uh, they just would have tasked a, an Air Force guy to drop bombs and they would have killed everyone in here. So hmm. yeah, it's unfortunate that a single non-combatant was killed. However, like this is war, bad things happen. Like we weren't trying to do this. It's just, it's just, Unfortunately, like, it, you know, we live in a sinful world and a fallen world, and this is part of the result of that. Um, so as I looked at it, like, I think I was too nonchalant about it. Like, I didn't take it seriously enough. And so while it's not, it is not wrong to kill someone that is, that is uh, trying to hurt your family. uh also like realize that you are taking a human life You're the shedding of blood. God takes very seriously, Hmm. right? David did not build the temple. His son built the temple. Um, Hmm. you know, so there is a, yeah. So, you know, on, on one hand, don't, don't, uh, you shouldn't feel bad about it. Um, I mean, I certainly don't, most of the guys that I know that, that, that shot people in battle, they, they don't have all this. I mean, I think it's so, Um, It's actually something I want to write an article on, like the whole pop culture of like, when you shoot someone, you should feel bad or you should like, you know, you're puking afterwards Hmm. or like, you know, I didn't experience any of that. None of the guys I know went through any of that. Uh, And and so, but I think in, in large part, it is because. I've thought through it and it was never a, you know, it's a serious thing, but it's not a wrong thing to do.
0: Hmm.
1: You know, hmm. I mean, there's uh, in a fallen world, I, I would say that the violence itself, you know, it can be righteous violence or unrighteous violence, hmm. right? Someone's trying to kill your child and you shoot the guy in the face. That's righteous use of violence. Hmm. Um, you want your neighbor's stuff and you shoot him in the face. That is, immoral use Mm -hmm. of violence right there yeah um but you know in in a fallen world like there there is going to be violence and uh i i don't see the case for complete pacifism of okay i'm just going to let you do whatever you want to my family in 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 a criminal sense like Mm -hmm. i I think there is a case for okay you're you're going to persecute us because we're believers i i can see a case for pacifism in under those circumstances, but not in a criminal sense. Yes.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Thanks for speaking to that. Um, yeah. Like you said, just going through that thought exercise is like so much so valuable in and of itself. I can remember. Huge. I mean, even since I went to your course and you, and you did that mindset talk, I've made conscious decisions on uh, like almost every week where Katie and I go on our dates. I've now even kind of changed where we frequent, not that we were at, you know, rowdy places before, but I just kind of try to av- avoid even the proximity to them, you know, yeah. or the time of the day that we go to. Um, and I think it's a large part of the reason I've changed some of my habits is because thinking through some of these things that you've, you you had us think through and, um, and really having a sober perspective, uh, in regards to all of this and protecting, um, yeah. Cause I mean, I'd rather go, you know, go out to dinner at 5 p.m. than because the bars aren't getting very rowdy around downtown until, you know, yeah. 10 or 11. And yeah. I'd rather just get in and get back home, to my, get to my quiet home, you know, not have to deal with with all yeah. those things if I can avoid it. Um, which is, yeah, I think I'm so grateful you speak to that. Bill, thank you so much for your time. This has been so encouraging, so helpful. Um, I'm going to link where people can find you, um, you know, you've got your Amtac shooting courses, you've got your knives, which I'm stoked about. I think, I think I've shared about your knives already. Um, is there anything else you kind of want to speak to? You know, um, you've talked about, you, you've talked about like starting like a merchandise line, you know,
1: I don't know if that's something that that's up and running right now or so we, we do. So our, our three businesses are, we have Amtac shooting, that's our training company and we have Amtac blades, um, which is our, our knife company. And then we now have Amtac gear as well. Amtac hmm. gear is for, uh, we actually just added med kits to there. So, oh, cool. uh, that is going to right now it's, it's, it's t-shirts, hats, stickers, swag, basically stuff like that. And then also now med med kits. Um, so if you don't have a med kit, you should probably have a med kit. You're actually more likely to use a med kit than you are a pistol. Yeah. Uh, so that's a, that's another piece of training that, uh, that, you know, guys, guys should definitely get, uh, get underneath their belts. Um, so yeah, that's, you know, that would be ways to support us is, yep. uh, you know, and any of those websites, if, you know, if you don't train, I would highly encourage you go, go out and train. Um, cause it is, it is valuable. Also, like there's just a good, uh, for the men that are listening, it's just a good kind of manly, Hey, get out and train. Right. I, I feel good when I do that, when I go do physically hard thing, you know, I think it's just something that as men, it's, it's, it's innate in us is to do, to do hard stuff, to have challenges like that and, and to feel, and we should have as heads of households, we should have answers for, well, what if, what if uh, the door starts thumping right now? And it's, it's three guys with pipes and and they want to hurt your family. Like Mm -hmm. as as the head of a household, we should have answers for, for what, what we do with that. Yeah. Um, So yeah, I would, I would encourage people with that. And then, uh, you know, the the most important exhortation is, you know, follow after Christ. It is the most important thing. Uh, nothing else you do in life is going to matter a hundred years from now, (laughs) other than what, you know, how, how you gave glory to God. So Mm. I would just, you know, be deliberate about that. Don't just be like, Oh yeah, that's a little part of my life. Be that. That is the most important part of your life and try and also try and, approach your life that way and align your life so that that it, you know, so that every day you're like, God, how can I give you glory? How can I follow after you? But help me to you know help me to want to follow after you. more. Amen.
0: Wow. Thank you so much. What a great way to close out, Bill. Thank you so much. Folks that are listening. I'm going to link everything. You can follow Bill on Instagram um, and any other platforms that he's on. Bill, thank you so much. Thanks for having me on, Elisha. Yeah.